Happy New Year, everybody. I've, I've been discussing this morning, I don't know how long you can carry on saying that. You know, at what point does it become weird to say Happy New Year? And I kind of put it to, I think it was Mark, and said, I think the first time you see someone, you could say Happy New Year, but then I realised if you don't see someone until June, it'd be a little bit awkward. But I think it's okay to say that this morning, so hope you've all had a, a good restful New Year. It's great to be back. And... Um, we're back in Matthew for a little bit, and then there's some new stuff going to come along in a little while next month, but I won't share about that now, but just to give you a heads up, we're going to just be in Matthew 10 for January, because um, we've been looking at Matthew for a little while now, so we're going to kind of carry that on for a little bit. Um, so Matthew 10, 1 to 15, if you've got a Bible. If you haven't, or you would like one, and you'd like to follow along, then there are some Bibles over there that you're free to go and take and have a look at. But I'm just going to read this passage to us from Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. And I've left my glasses at home, so I've got to do it this close. He called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So that's the passage we're going to look at uh, briefly this morning. We've got communion as well in a little bit later on. And I was just thinking, you know, who here made a New Year's resolution? Anybody? Anybody still do that? Well, like a few people. Ben, is it, is it suitable to share what your resolution is? What is it? Oh, go to the gym twice a week. Loads of people have this, like, get fit instead of fat and get healthy. And, and I just thought, I haven't done one this year, mainly because I've still got so much chocolate that there's no point in kind of getting fit until that's all eaten, right? So I think it should start in February with New Year's resolutions. But I thought, better than rev- resolutions, why don't we pursue revelations of God in 2017? Instead of having a, a resolution to be fit or to be healthy, all good things, not bad things, but what if our aim for 2017 was revelations of God, was to pursue him greater than ever before, to know him better than we've known him before, to see him do some amazing things. And I think that's what you see when you see chapter 10 and 1 to 15. You see God in the person of Jesus sending out the first disciples. And what are they doing? They're on a rescue mission. They're on a mission to see lives transform. That's what they're about and that's what they're doing. 
That's it. You, you read the passage. That's what they're sent out to do, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to set people free. Just to give a bit of a recap before we get into it. Jesus has spent a fair bit of time on the mountain. We've spent quite a bit of time with the Sermon on the Mount. He's been telling everybody, this is how you follow God. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He's then, off the back of that, started traveling around a little bit. He's raised the dead. He's, he's healed people. He's given sight to the blind. And now he's sending out his disciples on their first ever journey. This is their first time doing stuff without Jesus. So that's significant, isn't it? I don't know if you remember, oh, first time moving away from home. First time going to school and walking by yourself. First time doing anything. First time you get in a car and you drive it. Always a bit daunting, can be a bit scary. Everyone always has a near miss on that first go. Or actually hit into something, potentially. But they're sent out with specific instructions, and they're not sent out alone, they're sent out in pairs, and they've just been hanging out with Jesus. And you'll notice some of the detail there that they're sent out to Israel specifically. Let's not get totally worried about that or caught up in that, but the way that the Bible story unfolds is with the good news of Jesus was first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So it's just following on with that. You actually see later in the same chapter, verse 16, it says that actually you're going to be hauled before Gentiles and you need to give an account for yourself. So the good news isn't just limited to one group of people, but is for all people, which is good news for us if we're not Jewish here today. I'm guessing there's not that many Jews present. So it's good news for us as non-Jews as well. And um, the first thing I want to say is that Jesus has is, is chosen his disciples. And I don't know about you, but that, that puts a big smile on my face. I don't mean that he's picked 12 people, but you look at the 12 people that he's picked. Right? Fisherman, Simon the Zealot, who's a revolutionary, tax collector, Matthew, nobody likes tax collectors, and Judas Iscariot, who's described here as the betrayer, even before he does it. They're his disciples. They're the people that Jesus sends out to represent him. They're not perfect. They're not high flyers. If you were to pick 12 people, if you had a message to share, and you had to pick your A-team, you had to pick 12 people to share that message, you might pick high-flying communicators. You might pick people of influence. Would you pick fishermen? Would you pick someone who's going to betray you? Probably not. But it gives me great heart and great courage here that actually Jesus' closest followers were just a bunch of blokes. Just a bunch of fellas with hang-ups, with problems, with issues that we actually see explored throughout the Gospels. And uh, they're not perfect, as I've just said, and we're not perfect either. So if there's one thing to kind of say, well, in 2017 as I'm going forward, I think what we can be committed to doing is resolve to follow Jesus more, can't we? Whatever story we have... Wherever we're currently at in our walk with God, whether we're in a good place, whether we've had a rough kind of New Year and Christmas and we're not really where we should be with God, we can recommit today to following after him. His 12 disciples, the first missionaries, fishermen, tax collectors, betrayers. That actually, whatever our story is, wherever we are placed in life, 
we can follow Jesus and we can do that effectively. Verse 1, Jesus sends them out in his authority to do kingdom stuff. That's the good news as well, that we don't go representing ourselves. We don't have to worry about that, but Jesus gives us his authority to do his work. So that's why the disciples could do it. Not that they're awesome men, because they're not, but actually they went with the Spirit of God. They went with Jesus with them and with his authority. And I want you to just see something about almost the dual nature of this first mission, and it's got two elements, and I think there's two elements to what we do as well. If we are a, the church isn't just a building of religious people, which is I think how often it's labeled in society. You look at this is the church, and it's full of religion and formality, but what the church should be is a rescue outpost. What the church should be is a city, a light on the top of a hill for all to see us. This is a place of hope. This is a place of freedom. This is a place where actually you can get new life. And in order to do that, there's a dual kind of thing going on. This is what it says from verse 7. He says, and proclaim as you go. So they've been sent out. Proclaim as you go. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the first thing there is, there is a message to take. So often I've heard it said, and I think I've even said this before, that you don't need to necessarily say anything to witness to people. I don't think that's right. I don't think Jesus thinks that's right. I think there's a message that, yes, we live in a way that highlights and draws attention to the kingdom of God, but there is a message. People that we're thinking about, maybe people who don't know Jesus yet, maybe you've got them in their heart, like Carl was talking about people before. They need to hear a message, don't they? How we deliver that message is up to us, but they need to hear a message. Jesus says, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And secondly, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Come on. Nobody else excited about that? I'll just say that again. You obviously didn't get that. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. That's what they're sent to do. Bring transformation to people. Blind eyes opened. People that are caught in captivity set free. People that are dead. Now, some people say that it's spiritual death going on here. I'm sure there is that. But I think physical death's going on here as well. Brought to life. That's the other half of it. Transformation, it, we, we share, but there's also an action. There's healing from sickness, death, being an outcast, being set free from evil. And we need to be in 2017, church, people that believe God for miracles. I want you to notice something about these miracles here. They're not miracles for a show. They're not a performance. The disciples aren't sent out. Jesus doesn't say, go out, walk on water, turn water into wine. They're not kind of, I'm not saying that those miracles were showy, by the way, when Jesus did them. But there isn't even an element of that to it. All these miracles are concerned with other people. Heal the sick. Set free the captive. Basically, they're a blessing to people. What does Jesus say to us then in 2017? Go out and be a blessing to people with the things that you say and the things that you do. That we'd be people of transformation, people on rescue. We re recognize that it's Jesus' authority. That if anyone ever comes to faith, that's to do with Jesus. But we're the ones that point them in that direction. They're sent out to be a blessing to people in word and in deed. And how about that for a resolution or a revelation? How often are our New Year's revelations all about us? I'll be a fitter person this year. I'll do this, this. How about if our revelations, our resolutions were, I'm going to be a blessing to more people this year. I'm going to pray for more people who are sick that they'd be healed in the name of Jesus. Yeah? 
Come on. This is what it's about. This is what rescue looks like. Transform lives that we bless others. And that is a kingdom mentality that we think of others before ourselves. That's what the kingdom does. Puts others ahead of ourselves. And so I think we need to, as an outpost of rescue, the church as a whole needs to recover this message, this dual kind of message of sharing of faith and action. Not one exclusively over the other, but both. There will be people of prayer. There will be people that pray for the sick. There will be people that uh, want to see the dead raised. That people that are taunted by demons set free. And we want to be that because God cares about people and people being whole. Doesn't he? Whole people. That holistic approach to actually God wants us to be completely fulfilled. And he knows we can be completely fulfilled in him. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, I'm missing one, mentally, that actually as a whole person, we will be cared for. It's our job as God's people to show that care and love to others this year and bringing that new kingdom of wholeness. Actually, that people would know and love the God who's crafted them individually, who's created them with a purpose, who loves them beyond measure. You know what? So many people don't know that God loves them. They don't know that God loves them. They don't know that they're beautiful. They don't know that God's created them individually. That they have a purpose. That you all have a purpose. We need to hear that, don't we? And that actually, Paul says this, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone, anyone puts their trust in Jesus as their saviour, they're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The old way of doing things, whatever we've done, wherever we've been, there is a fresh start for every single one of us in Jesus Christ. And just thinking about the disciples as they're sent out with purpose, that we're to be sent out with purpose. We're to be sent out into the world and to look different as well as speaking different. And whatever our gifting is, whatever our angle, whatever expertise we have, Actually, how about this year we're kind of devoted to doing something for the kingdom of God? Being a blessing to people. People that we've walked past in the walked past in the past. We don't anymore. We stop and have a chat with them or we pray for them. If someone's sick, we go, actually, yes, I believe that God heals today. I'm gonna pray for you. We can do anything for the kingdom of God. And on a practical level, I've just got a couple of things. I did have a few more, but I think we're going to pick up on some of those in the next couple of weeks in chapter 10. But this on a practical level, I just want, to see, I want you to see this because I think it can be missed. Verse 8 in your Bible. Jesus says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You have received without paying, give without pay. Seems a bit weird, doesn't it? You've got all this awesome stuff of healing the sick raise the dead, cleanse lepers, set captives free. You've received without paying, so give without pay. And there's been some teaching, and I don't mean here, but generally um, in places that say, if you bless, you will be blessed. Almost as if that's the primary motivation. Give more money, God will give you more money. Now, I don't read that in the scriptures, but I do read stuff about actually there is a blessing that comes to us if we are a blessing to others. 
But I also get the distinct impression that that is not our primary motivation for doing so. And if it is our primary motivation for doing so, then we've not really got a kingdom mentality going on there, have we? We're still stuck in, oh, bless me mode, as opposed to blessing others. And I think Jesus smashes that whole mindset here when he says, actually, go and heal the sick, go and do all this stuff, but spend yourself in doing so. Spend yourself for the kingdom of God. Do it, but take no pay. Give of yourself, give of your time, give of your energy, and don't expect anything in return. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That we give freely, that we give generously, that we seek to be a blessing. You see, he says here, you, you receive without pay and you give without pay. In other words, what he's saying is, for us to come into the kingdom of God, for us to have been set free from all our wrongs, what have we done? What have we contributed? What have we given? The answer's a big fat nothing. In fact, Jesus has given everything. So just as Jesus has given everything for us at a cost of nothing to us, we're to give freely to others. We're to pray without ceasing for others, pray authentically for others, without expecting anything in return. It has to be a year this year, church, if we're a genuine rescue station, a genuine outpost, that we give without thought to ourselves. That we give without thinking, what's in it for me? How about what's in it for Jesus? Transform lives, a transformed town. People having their eternal destiny shaped and changed. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper, Jesus says. I think that kind of covers it. I know he doesn't mention diamonds, but it, it, you get the gist. Don't go for the bronze medal or the silver or the gold for your belts. No bag for your journey. Don't have two tunics, don't have sand, nor sandals. Not a staff for the laborer deserves his food. Now, the context is, of course, that they're on a short missionary journey. So Jesus is saying, you don't need to take heaps of stuff with you because you're going to be back really soon. That being said, I think there's still something that we can take even today from that. That Jesus says, you don't need to take money for this. You don't need the extras that you think you do. Travel light. And it, I think it's something that the Lord's been speaking to me, and I just felt kind of compelled to share this morning, actually, that we're to, maybe in this year ahead and the years to come, we should travel light. Um, what I mean by that is, I, I believe it's a bit hipster, so I've been told. People that are a bit hipster, there's a few of you here, will know that it, it's kind of cool to not have very much. To be like, oh, I've just got my tree and my house. That's all I've got. It's cool. That's what I've heard. Um, and that's a bit of a lifestyle choice, and that's okay if you want to do that. That's fine. That's great. I'm not saying don't do that. But when I'm talking about traveling light, I don't mean if we have lots and lots of stuff that we need to have less stuff, although I think sometimes that can be quite helpful because our lives are quite cluttered and we have all sorts of things. But actually, every single item that we hold that we realize it's temporary. That's what I mean when we travel light. The things we have this side of heaven that we realize they're, of temp they're temporary and therefore actually don't last and they don't change and they, we don't get to take them with us. Because what they do is they rule our world. I'll tell you a, a, a short story, and this has happened to loads of people. Just before Christmas, at the busiest time, some lovely person decided to drive into my car in a car park and leave a nice mark on the back of it. It's lovely when that happens, isn't it? It's like a little Christmas present. 
Now, in that moment, I thought I'd done it, so I didn't feel angry. Um, but then I've been given some expert advice that says the angle of the wounds on my car is consistent with somebody else hitting me, not me hitting somebody else. Good news. It wasn't me that needed to leave a note on someone's. But actually, as soon as that happens, I'm like, oh, that's my car. That's my stuff. How dare they do that to my things? Well, actually, we need to cling light to the temporary and value the eternal. If we cling light, if we travel light, you know it means that generosity will be one of our core values. Because the things that we have are temporary, so actually it's okay to give it away. So actually if we're, if we're thinking, oh, I'll have less stuff, I'll declutter my life, give it away. Be a blessing to other people with our stuff. God doesn't live minimally, does he? I know it's hipster, but he doesn't live minimally. God has always been incredibly generous. He gives out of his abundance. Instead of cutting back, Jesus sent his son. Jesus sent his son. Jesus is the son. God sent his son. 2,000 years ago. He gave himself. You see, it's never been, and I don't believe it ever will be, about the stuff. This life isn't about the stuff that we have. And again, at Christmas, there's that little realization, isn't there? When there's the abundance of things, especially here in the West. That actually everything is God's anyway. Every breath that I draw is God's anyway. And we all have lots of stuff. And I don't think it matters in one sense whether we're rich, whether we're poor. Because it's not the stuff that we have that makes eternal difference to people. It's not what you own. It's not what you do that makes you you. Contrary to what society would say. This says it's what you do defines who you are or your upbringing. Or, it's just rubbish. Actually, God says our value is more than our clothing. God says our value is more than our food. God says our value is more than anything else in this whole world. That we're precious enough that his son would come for us. He says that in Matthew 6. That we're of incredible value. Look at the grass and how it's cared for. Look at the sparrows and how they're cared for. Here today, gone tomorrow, how much more then? How much more are you of value to your heavenly father? What makes a difference is what we do with what we have. Whether it's a little, whether it's a lot, it's what we do with it. So I think we're to travel lightly this side of heaven hold loosely to the things that sometimes get in the way of our pursuit of God. They do, don't they? Pursuit of stuff gets in the way of pursuit of God. And instead, I think boldly, courageously, unashamedly, we should give ourselves to something more important. You're looking for something to do this year. Give yourself to the kingdom of God. Give yourself to being part of a rescue outpost, of bringing hope to people, of being a light in the darkness praying for the sick, meeting the broken, raising the dead. Why not? Setting free the captive. All those things are more important than where we live, what we do, where we were born. Kingdom impact is more important than all those things. Because actually nothing else satisfies. You know, for Christmas you might have wanted... Uh, I had this thing, I wanted a new kind of sound system thing. And um, you go into the sound system shop and you go, I wanted this one that's like 120 quid or something. And then you look to the right of that and there's something that's 250 quid. And you're like, oh, this has got more bass. And then you look to the right of that and there's something that's 450 quid. 
which is even better than the 250 quid, I think. That's what they let you believe anyway. My point is, even if I got the 120 quid one, I'm still going to be going, oh, but I can do better. Oh, but the sound could be even better. And it's just this never-ending cycle of, I feel like somehow stuff is going to satisfy me. Somehow stuff is going to make me feel whole. But actually, you get caught in this never-ending cycle that actually it never does satisfy you because there will always be something else. That's me. I don't know if that's you. Whereas actually, perhaps this year, maybe if we give ourselves to traveling lightly, we'll be generous with the things that we do have because we recognize that kingdom and being part of this rescue mission that God has is more important because it's eternal. That's what we have to come to the conclusion of what's eternal, what's temporary. And, and I think for our life and our life choices and in terms of important life decisions, we should base it on that. Not what's temporary, but what holds eternal value? What's going to transform people? What's going to make a difference? And the answer is Jesus. And then finally, really quickly from verse 11 onwards, just to finish, and then we're going to have communion together, which we'll kind of flow straight into. This is verse 11, and then the rest of the chapter. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. So they would say, peace be upon this place, peace be upon you. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. It was quite a nice passage until you get to verse 15 when he says, if you don't listen to the words of these apostles, if you don't hear this good news, if you don't do something about this good news of Jesus, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it would be for where you're from. Now, for those that don't know, Sodom and Gomorrah, I just read it in Genesis, but it's not nice. They're found short and they're judged. The bar is set pretty low with Sodom and Gomorrah. That's all I'm going to say. It's not a high standard. It's pretty low. But he says, if we don't trust in Jesus, he says, if, if these people that you go to and you're sharing your life with and you're being generous with because you're traveling lightly and you're sharing this good news of Jesus with, if they sit on the fence, if they don't respond to you, and if they don't respond to you well, which is part of the implication here, they won't listen to you, they're not happy with you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for them. The stakes are pretty high, guys, aren't they? The stakes are pretty high for people that don't know Jesus. That we can't just hear about Jesus and do nothing with that information. That's true of us all here. Maybe we've come to church and we keep coming to church, but we haven't put our trust in Jesus. The stakes are really high if we're in that category. That we've heard the story, but we're not acting upon it. The most dangerous thing we can do, actually, is to be counted as people that are unworthy, according to this passage. Counted as people that don't respond to the good news. People that, if we're people that we hear the good news of Jesus and we don't respond and we don't live out, transform lives in response to the grace that God has given us, well, Jesus says that's a dangerous place to be. Because there's an offer on the table from God of peace of hope, of love, of life eternal, of a new beginning. And we're just sat there going, 
Yeah, whatever, God. Whatever, mate. That is a dangerous place to be, Jesus says. To hear the story that God loves us and do nothing about it. That God would send his one and only son for us and just go, ah, it's all right, but I won't do anything with it. But reverse that round as well. The stakes are high for those of us who know Jesus. Thinking about our friends, our family, who don't know him. What are we doing about that? Are we praying for those people? Are we having conversations with those people? Are we traveling lightly towards those people? The world is greedy. One of the easiest ways we can demonstrate we're kingdom people is generosity. It's the one that costs us a bit, but one of the easiest things we can do. Well, it's not easy, but in terms of showing and demonstrating that it looks different to the rest of the world is in generosity. I don't want 2017 for Redeemer King and for every single one of us present here to be a year of fence sitting. I don't want that for any of you. I want it to be a year where we go, I'm all in for the kingdom of God. And maybe it's a year where we haven't made a decision for Christ yet. I want it to be the first Sunday we've met together in 2017 to say, yes, I'm in. Or maybe we haven't been walking properly with the Lord and we need to recommit ourselves to go, yes, I'm going to get right and I'm going to start right now. There's no point in sitting on the fence and saying, I'll sort it in June. You might not have June. You might not have June. Today is the time to put our trust and get right with Jesus. And I can guarantee, I can absolutely guarantee that if we put our hope and our trust in Jesus, then he transforms our life. It doesn't make our life easy, but we're filled with hope, we're filled with purpose, and we're filled with the love of God. That's what happens. We're forgiven for all of our sin. Sin is our rebellion towards God, our selfishness. If we turn around this morning, if we put our trust in him, God guarantees us a fresh start. Who needs a fresh start? I do. I have a fresh start every single day with God. And he gives us in the person of Jesus. So 2017 church can be a year of great joy. A year of great purpose for the kingdom of God. If we go all in for Jesus, if we say, yes, we're going to be a rescue station. We're a rescue mission. Because the stakes couldn't be higher. And that's what I want us to be as a church. People that love the Lord, people that honor the Lord, people that please the Lord. And we please him. How the disciples please Jesus? By getting on with it. By seeing lives transformed. We're going to have communion in a moment. But before we do that, I just want a moment of prayer, really. Um, a moment of kind of quiet before the Lord to give the opportunity for a couple of things. One is, what better way to start our year than recommit ourselves to Jesus this morning? Whether that's for the first time, the thousandth time, great. Let's do that. And secondly, there'll be people that are on our hearts people that are on our minds, I want to just take a minute and go, right, okay, who am I going to pray for in 2017? Who am I going to step out in faith for? Who am I going to be a blessing to this year? And pray that they would come through. Pray that they would put their trust in Jesus as their saviour. So why don't we just take a moment in the quiet to think on those things. To, I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you want to kind of recommit yourself to God, then I want you to pray it with me. Say amen at the end. And then I'll explain what we're going to do with communion just after that.
Yeah, Father, we this morning want to say that we respond to your call to be your people, respond to your call to, uh, to be a blessing to those that we meet. And God, at this first opportunity that we have in 2017 as a church, we want to say we recommit ourselves 100% to following you, Jesus. God, you know where we're at. You know our hang-ups, our ups and our downs. But despite all that, we want to give you our best in 2017. We want to ask Holy Spirit that you just come now. Make yourself present amongst us. Bring your peace, your hope, your joy, your comfort, your love. God, we thank you so much that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and conquered death. Died upon a cross, a plank of wood for our shame and our sin and our rebellion and our selfishness and rose from the depths that we could have a fresh start through hope and trust in him. And God, this morning we recommit ourselves to following after you. We say we want to follow after you this year with all that we are. Help us to throw ourselves in to be in your people, to be people of the king, that we'd represent you well. God, and thank you that you choose to use all of us. That there's not an exclusive criteria that we have to hit to be used. But God, you want any of your children, anyone who says Jesus is Lord, to throw themselves in to following after you. And thank you that that includes all of us. And we pray now, God, that you'd help us to do that. Help us to reach out as, as a, a hand of hope towards those that don't know you. God, help us to be committed in our prayer for those that don't know you. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning, we pray that this wouldn't be a year of fence-sitting, but this would be a year of decisive action. We put our trust in you. Forgive us for all our sin, God. In Jesus' name, amen.